Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Rob Breckenridge. On today's episode, the battle over Hockey Calgary's proposed boundary changes has taken a legal twist with a judge issuing an injunction. Why some parents and associations want a different approach. Also, a deal between Canada and the U.S. around steel and aluminum tariffs. Why did it have to come to this, though? And what about the damage done? Plus, ahead of Sunday's Game of Thrones finale, we debate the merits of posting spoilers on social media. Well, back in March, Hockey Calgary announced some uh, controversial boundary changes uh, that involved seeing uh, one association disbanded, uh, others merged. As Hockey Calgary said at the time, this is done. In other words, we've made a decision and this is how it's going to be. But not so fast, said some of these associations, or at least some of the parents in these associations. A group of parents, in fact, decided that they would challenge all of this in court. And today, a judge granted an injunction. So casting some uncertainty on on where this all goes from here. Uh, Daniel Melnick is uh, representing those involved in this challenge uh, from the Saints Association as well as Northwest Warriors and Glen Lakes. Uh, Danielle, thanks for making some time for us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. So, uh, and, and so to clarify, so you're basically speaking on behalf of those involved in, in this challenge. So that's largely the, the these three associations. It is the associations. Yeah, it's an association-led um, case. Okay. All right. Just to clarify that point. So what what was the reason for going to court then? Uh, the reason going for court is going to court is we felt that there wasn't a due process to um, you know to the boundary changes, and we felt that there wasn't a discernible reason to make these drastic changes to the landscape in, in hockey here in Calgary. Um, and we wanted some clarification. So through the appeal process, we realized that that wasn't happening, um, and we we felt and the lawyers felt that there was merit that the hockey Calgary had decided their mandate on making these boundary changes and that's what has brought us to where we are today um also because you know when this was put in front of the associations over 70 percent of the association vote said that no we wouldn't like this map to go forward so not only did we not find a discernible reason it was also majority voted that no we didn't want this to go ahead so Mm -hmm. when you talk about due process i mean maybe there's no easy way to to make this this kind of a decision but what what should the process have looked like then in your view uh well we definitely feel that you should take into consideration the president's votes and because they are elected representative of your membership base Mm -hmm. so an association is set up and with that elected president he or she speak on behalf of their membership so if your membership is saying no you know then why are you moving ahead with that decision? That that's a, that's a huge concern because the people that are affected truly are the people that are in that in the community in the communities that are being represented by those presidents. All right, so let's talk about what happened today. Then, so the judge mm-hmm. has granted an injunction. What what does that mean? Yeah, so what that means is that um, because because it's a pressing issue, obviously the time registration for next year is supposed to start June 1st, so um, not having an actual trial date till the 21st of June, uh, we asked for an injunction. So what has happened is it means that uh, nobody can start their registration process with the exception of Spring Bank and Trails West as they are unaffected in this decision until after the court date, um, as well as it means that anything that is voted on at the age 
AGM on June 18th, not only are the Saints have their uh, pre-decision voting right, but it's also a non-binding vote, um, which is, uh, you know, very important. Um, and as well as, it, you know, I'm hoping that it means that maybe we can start working collaboratively together and come to an agreement um, instead of having to make this go to, you know, into the courts on the 21st. So there's a potential maybe to avoid that that court date is what you're saying. We would love to do that and get back to, you know, how we used to collaboratively work with Hockey Calgary and have functioned effectively together for so many years by, you know, working together for a goal of providing hockey and experiences for all. Because the mission and objectives of Hockey Calgary and the Community Hockey Associations are very similar. So we're just hoping we can get back to working to fulfill those missions and achieve those objectives together and having it more as a collaborative approach with, and listening to the majority vote, <laughs> which is another thing as well, listening to your associations and not making the decision without having, um, you know, with due process and reason. Right. So you're not going into this saying that it's a line in the sand, these associations exist and must always exist. I mean, is there still the possibility that there's going to be a need for some boundary changes? Well, if you look at the history of boundary changes in Hockey Calgary, it's never been a dictated um process. For example, the Westwood Warriors and Crowchild, which is now the association I'm part of, had banded together in 2009 and became the uh, Northwest Warriors. So we're saying let's get back to that process where then we can represent our membership correctly and the needs of our membership as you know, every area in, in Calgary has different needs, um, different socioeconomic needs. And we are the best people because we are elected uh, uh, representatives to determine what those needs are we can talk to our community we can you know we know what is going on in our community and unfortunately and i mean it's no fault to them but if you're sitting in on the hockey calgary board you might not have all the know-abouts of every single association so allow us to be part of that process and have it be a volunteer it needs to be a collaborative voluntary approach it cannot be a um, decided for you approach especially in the case of the saints where it's you no longer exist you know, and there's great merit to say that that's not even legal. So, uh, if this does go to court, then you know, time becomes a, an issue, as you mentioned. That the registration needs to begin as as soon as possible. But if this is in court in in late June, what kind of uncertainty does that create for next year? I mean, all that really happens on that in that first month of registration is really uh, the associations allow you to come in and register a month early and you get, you know, it depends on each association, but X amount of dollars off your registration. So it's very easy for them just to move that to the July 1st. In fact, the Saints have always done their registration starting on July 1st. So it really doesn't change that much in terms of registration. Whatever happens on June 21st, that drastically changes where kids will be playing, where kids, you know, register from everything from house league to, to everywhere. So that's why today it was felt that that injunction was required to alleviate some of that confusion. All right. Well, we'll see where this all goes from here. Danielle, thanks for making some time for us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Uh, that is Danielle Melnick, a hockey uh, parent herself, representing uh, the parents in these three associations who have gone to court and said to Hockey Calgary, you didn't go about this the right way. This has been unfair, uh, and, and we demand that you respect you know, the wishes of these associations and, and those people involved. So the judge hasn't necessarily ruled on the merits of that case, but recognizes uh, the importance of of deciding this. 
so as placed an injunction. So whatever Hockey Calgary might be inclined to do now going forward in terms of setting all of this up for next year, that's all on hold. By the way, just uh, within the last hour, Vice President Mike Pence tweeted, quote, I'll travel to Ottawa on May 30th to meet with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau on advancing the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, the USMCA, the new NAFTA, as swiftly as possible. This is a win for all three nations, referring to the deal reached today to remove the steel and aluminum tariffs that the U.S. imposed about a year ago on Canada and Mexico. And it is good news indeed. Canada will be removing its own retaliatory tariffs. But why did this happen in the first place? Right, as, as good as this uh, announcement is today, I mean, it's just a return to the previous status quo. And it's a reminder, I think, that there was really no need for our two countries to go down this path. So how did it happen? What has been the impact? Well, someone who's been uh, watching uh, this through all of its uh, twists and turns is on the line with us uh, here this afternoon. Uh, Dan Shuriak is a fellow in residence at the CDHOW Institute, a senior fellow with the Center for International Governance, Innovation, and a director and principal at Shuriak Consulting Incorporated. Dan, thank you so much for joining us here. Welcome to the program. A pleasure to be on. Uh, so your thoughts, I guess, on, on the fact that this announcement has occurred. I mean, what's your sense of why now? Well, uh, I think the uh, connection with the uh, Mike Pence announcement that is coming up to Ottawa to try and nail down the uh, the agreement of the for the replacement of NAFTA, the USMCA, I think that's the connection. I think the backdrop to this is, of course, the um, uh, the the uh, acceleration and the um, escalation of the U.S.-China trade war. So this is, if uh, I can interpret this, as the United States getting its North American uh, house in order in place while it gets ready to prosecute the bigger battle against uh, China. And uh, one of the most important parts of this agreement, uh, if I just may, is that, of course, there's going to be these tough new requirements for making sure that uh, Chinese steel doesn't enter into the U.S. indirectly through Canada. Right. And I mean, that, that was one of the concerns that the U.S. had. I mean, what's, was that a legitimate concern that they had, though? Um, it's very hard for me to, to take that one too, too seriously. Um, Canada has got, like the uh, United States, has got very high anti-dumping and countervailing duties on imports of Chinese steel. Uh, so we, we don't import very much from, uh, from them to, to start with. Uh, and the companies that would be exporting to, to the United States have got a lot of skin in this game. Uh, they, they certainly don't want to get caught uh, with, uh, with tariffs, so they're going to be watching their supply chain uh, carefully anyways. Um, and it, all in all, this is, uh, basically imposes paperwork, uh, red tape costs on Canadian uh, manufacturers of steel. Now, it's not such a big deal, I don't think, for Western Canada, because Western Canada uh, is primarily, uh, has got one producer in Edmonton, right, um, uh, Alta Steel. Uh, but for the uh, 10 of the 13 steel mill producers in Canada use electric arc uh, production uh, methodologies, and that, in- that involves melting and pouring, uh, you know, reused steel. So they're going to have to keep track of all of their inputs to make sure that they don't run a of uh, the U.S. Uh, requirements down. 
It's interesting, too, that, you know, that, that these tariffs are going to be removed pretty quickly, and that's encouraging. And, and that in the future, that any future retaliation, if there's ever an issue in the future, that future retaliation would have to be steel and aluminum specific. So that, that seems like a, an interesting reaction to what happened here, because Canada's retaliatory tariffs went, went well beyond steel and aluminum. Sure, because we don't have the capacity to retaliate against the United States in steel and aluminum to the same extent that they can impose tariffs on Canadian steel and aluminum. So, yeah, this limits our ability to go tit for tat. Uh, that's that's a, a compromise in our ability to discipline the American uh, use or abuse of, of of the measures that are in there, which say that they, if there's a surge, uh, depends upon how you determine it. With, with, uh, we don't have the language on on what the rules on that are going to be, but there's a surge of Canadian steel or aluminum into the U.S. for whatever reason. They might then be able to uh, apply these 25 and 10 percent tariffs, and we would not be able to retaliate in equal measures if. If we thought that this was illegitimate. So this this is com- constraining our ability to to operate on, on, on an equal basis in this market. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing about this is, sure, we're, we're trying to inflict harm on, on the other country. But when we start imposing trade barriers, I mean, we're, we're inflicting harm on ourselves, too, right? So it, it, you're absolutely correct. I mean, the only reason why you do it is uh, to go tit for tat is that to it create a discipline on on free trade. The, the, there's a, a saying in, in in trade circles that you know the um, the preservation of free trade is basically. Uh, uh, assured by the willingness of countries to go this tit for tat, to accept costs on themselves of applying tariffs in order to ensure that the other party uh, sticks to the bargain. Uh, so th- th- we have to, at times, uh, willingly accept the cost of putting tariffs on ourselves. It's going to disadvantage our producers. It's going to disadvantage our downstream users of stuff. But we do that in order to maintain this discipline on, on free trade in North America. So remember, uh, Canada, you, uh, for, the, for Canada, the United States is the bread and, uh, and butter uh, in, in our international trade. So we have to be able to maintain uh, a free and open market here. It's for, it, this is almost existential for Canada. Yeah. What's been the impact then of, of this dispute and having these tariffs in place for the last year? Can we begin to quantify it? Uh, we can. It, these the effects are for the United States. Um, remember that they put this on, on on a global basis. So we've we've actually tried to evaluate that, uh, uh, and it, it's a negative for the United States in, in on the order of maybe a tenth of a percent of GDP or less. It's not huge. Um, it does get them what the Trump administration sort of has asked for on a, on a headline basis, which is to say more investment in steel, uh, more jobs in steel. Uh, what it costs them, what it costs the U.S. Is, is downstream jobs. We've seen factories closing or moving abroad and, 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 and or reducing production because of, of rising steel and aluminum input costs. So for the United States, when you work out the whole arithmetic, uh, costs and benefits, it's a net negative. For Canada, it's also it's, uh, similarly a net negative. Uh, when we just remove the partial uh, ban for the United States and for Canada, my guess is, we haven't run the numbers on this, my guess is that for Canada it's, it becomes uh, a, a win. And for the United States, it mitigates the a loss, but it leaves them in the red. Uh, so, But we're not talking huge figures here just on steel and aluminum. The one thing I would mention, though, is that 
the there's a pernicious effect of of tariffs on on primary products is that it raises the cost of downstream products and that leads to calls for protection downstream so one of the predicted uh, consequences of having uh, steel and aluminum tariffs on was a major steel users like the auto industry would then be put under competitive pressure and so would need protection. So we're now seeing this, this possibility of uh, tariffs on uh, U.S. auto imports as well. Right, yeah, and that gets overlooked. I mean, when you talk about, you know, certainly the president likes to talk about the steel industry, and so it's one thing to talk about the impact on those who make steel and aluminum, but a lot of businesses use steel and aluminum in making other products. Uh, you know, everything from beer cans to washers and dryers. I mean, it really runs the gamut. You're driving up costs for, for all of those industries. That's correct. And, and, and if you were to look at this from a Western Canadian perspective, we don't. We have very limited uh, steel production in Western Canada. We rely on imports. Uh, and there's, you know, it's not just one kind of steel. You have everything from rebar to flat uh, you know, steel products to, you know, shaped steel and so forth. Um, not every product is, is available from a Canadian supplier. And supply from Eastern Canada is very expensive in, in the West. So we rely heavily in Western Canada on on north-south trade. So to have these kinds of of tariffs is very damaging to all the downstream users. And that's uh, the construction industry, uh, you know, across the board. Um, It's very pernicious. So from that perspective, this is very good for Canada and for Western Canada in particular. Yeah, Yeah, it certainly is. And and so we're we're seeing some common sense prevail on this and and perhaps moving forward on getting the new NAFTA implemented. But, I mean, at the same time, the U.S., they're, they're... slapping tariffs on on products coming out of china the announcement today that that perhaps uh japanese and european automobiles might be subject to these 232 tariffs so the the approach of the u.s administration seems to be consistent on on this front even though they're reversing course a little bit here it's full steam ahead with with other in in other respects well i I think that's thanks to the uh, strong pushback from uh, canada uh a less a strong, I think, from Mexico, but definitely for Canada, this was uh, uh, kind of a make-or-break uh, uh, issue for uh, getting USMCA in place. I think the, um, the, 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 the proof of the protectionist uh, um, attitude or proclivity of the, of, of the Trump administration is that the USMCA itself is very protectionist. The, uh, the agency in the U.S. that is charged with evaluating the impact of trade agreements on the U.S. economy, the, the, the U.S. Uh, International Trade Commission, they estimated that the USMCA would cost the U.S. Um, a minus 0.12% of GDP. It's not a huge number, but it's a negative number. And this is excluding um, the, the uh, sections regarding uh, data transfers. But on the stuff that we can actually rigorously quantify, it's a big negative for the United States economy, a $23 billion loss for U.S. households. Uh, and for Canada, if we take those figures, we can multiply that by a factor of, of several, uh, maybe four or five times, because Canada is far more exposed to North American trade than the U.S. is. So we're talking about a deal that is already costing us a lot of money. And that deal has got this protectionist um, bent in it. You know, the, the, the tightened rules of origin for uh, automotive uh, production and the tightened rules of, uh, of, rules of, uh, of origin for use of North American steel and chemicals and so forth. So um, in order to get this negative deal in place, we're... <laughs> 
we're getting rid of a negative. It's kind yeah. of a strange deal, but there it is. Yeah, well said. Uh, Dan, more of your research, uh, folks can read on this at uh, cdhow.org. Really appreciate your insight. Thanks for joining us here today. You're most welcome. All right, take care. That is uh, Dan Shuriak. He's a fellow in residence at the City Howe Institute, also director and principal with Shuriak Consulting Incorporated. So his thoughts on how we got to this point, what the impact has been. All right, posting spoilers is the uh, topic of conversation here. Is it okay to do so? People have very strong opinions on this question, but I, I suppose it boils down to what you consider to be. A spoiler. Last night, for example, the series finale of The Big Bang Theory aired. And I didn't really see a lot of people tweeting about it. I've seen some stories this morning about the show wrapping up and what happened on the episode, but none of it came with any kind of disclaimer about spoiler alert. In other words, I mean, a lot of people watched it last night. I think about 18 million uh, viewers tuned in. And perhaps there are some people who, uh, you know, PVR'd it or are going to watch it some other way uh, today or, or maybe this weekend. But do we have an obligation to not talk about what happened on Big Bang Theory? I, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, it, it, it's the same for sports, right? I mean, if it's uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, if it's a big sporting event, we're going to report the score. You'll hear in the newscast in the evening of the sports the next day, hey, in the NHL playoffs, so-and-so beat so-and-so. Now, if you PVR'd the game and you want to watch it later, uh, that might spoil it for you. But are we really obligated to go out of our way to shield that information from people who might generally want to know what happened to protect the people who might want to find out on their own later? Is it incumbent on you to stay away from that coverage? I know in the lead-up to me going to see Avengers Endgame, I was going out of my way just to avoid any story about the movie that might possibly ruin anything. Because, you know, certainly, and, and especially for movies where there's maybe twists, so you don't know what's going to happen. You, you do want to enjoy that surprise. So this Sunday is the series finale of Game of Thrones. And it's going to be a big, big event. And I've certainly noticed every single Sunday night, my Twitter feed is full of people that are basically tweeting as they're watching. Which seems strange to me. Normally, I just watch a TV show. I don't, it seems odd to be tweeting about it while you're watching it. So if you're not able to watch it Sunday night, you maybe be best to stay away from social media. But is there anything wrong with people you know, sharing their opinions on something? Anyway, uh, call him from our next guest on this question, getting a lot of attention. He says, give me all of your Game of Thrones spoilers. Uh, NSnews.com is a website for the North Shore News. Andy Press is a uh, news sports editor and lifestyle columnist for the North Shore News and joins us on the line here this afternoon. Andy, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, I guess in the minds of some, Andy, you're just you're, you're a horrible monster here. This Being pro-spoiler, I don't know that you could be anything worse, at least as some see it. No, I'm not the monster. They're the monsters. <laughs> Come on now. Is I, I I think there's specific rules here with Game of Thrones because it's not it's not even a a debate anymore. Like, should we spoil? Should we not spoil? It's like the, the it's out there. The spoilers are lurking there. They're like Arya Stark ready to just fly out of the darkness and stab you right in the eyeball. Like they're there. It's just how are you going to react to it? That's what's happening here. It's not even like is it good or is it bad? <laughs> right now, are you a Game of Thrones fan? 
Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. I'm, uh, I'm really. Uh, I, a lot of people are upset with this season. I'm just, uh, I'm not. I'm, I'm enjoying it. I'm, uh, I'm liking it, and I, I'm, I'm very excited to see how things shake out uh, yeah. this Sunday. But do you want to know, like, if I had the script in front of me here and I said, Andy, I'm going to tell you what happens. Would you, would you listen to what I have to say, or would you, would you hang up immediately? No, I don't want that. You're not going to do that, are you? <laughs> no, I don't have it. <laughs> okay, I could make that, some that stuff up, but no, it would be. Me. Yeah, you could make a fortune, but no, I don't want. I do not want to know that. <laughs> okay, so I mean, you do concede that there are people watching it who, who want to be protected from all of this. Yeah, I, I get that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do. I just, uh, I think um, there's I, there's different rules for different things, like you were talking about, like sports. There's no. It, it, there's no spoiler alert for what's happening in in sports, and I think um, movies have slightly different rules because it's not like an event. You know, people go when they can. Yeah. But uh, TV shows, maybe like Big Bang, I guess. But like, sure, <laughs> the Big Bang was big, but like this is way bigger than the Big Bang. Like this is more than a universe. This is huge, bigger than that. This is Game of Thrones, and it's it's an event in itself now. So there's no yeah. waiting around anymore. This is like. <laughs> The Super Bowl. There's no spoiler alerts for the Super Bowl. Well, you're going to watch, point, right? Yeah, you're going to watch on Sunday night, or you're going to pay the consequences of of your actions. Right, and you, you never hear it a newscast. You know, spoiler alerts uh, after the third quarter. It's uh, you know New England twenty, Dallas eleven, or whatever. Right? I mean, we we report what goes on. People are following along on Twitter. What a great touchdown pass that just was. Nobody's really. Prefacing that with, with a spoiler alert, uh, the Patriots just scored a touchdown. Exactly. You, f- you follow along, you be on time, you be ready to go, or it's, it's your own fault, it's on you, and you have to deal with the, the consequences there. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned movies are, are a little different. Uh, even still, I mean, you know, the Avengers movie's been out for a few weeks, and it's kind of like, is it, is it okay to talk about what happens? I mean, you know, you think of a movie from, like, over 20 years ago, the movie Seven. Like, it, is it okay for me to talk about what happens at the end of Seven? Do I have to give a spoiler alert yeah, if there's somebody out there who hasn't seen it? Like, movies, it, it's a weird kind of situation when it comes to movies. That is an interesting question. And like uh, Avengers, I haven't really been following along. I somehow I haven't ha- had the time to, to watch 22 movies in a row. No. <laughs> with Avengers, right, you just wait a week and then they put out a new one, right? That's how it goes. So I can just wait for the like next it. one. Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah. Um, so <laughs> this Sunday, and now explain to me the phenomenon because I don't quite understand. I don't know if you do. Like, if I'm really into a TV show, I'm going to sit down and watch a show I'm super excited about. My focus is 100% on that. How do you explain this, this phenomenon where people are, like, watching and they're tweeting? Like, is anybody actually reading these tweets? Uh, well, I, I don't read them during the show. This, this is the age we live in, though. Like, when I'm watching sports now, I've got my laptop computer open, and I'm on my phone, and I'm watching the game. And I usually miss all the big plays because I'm not really paying attention, which isn't the best. But, like, Game of Thrones... Uh, I'll watch it right through with no distractions, but like my favorite part of the whole season is actually going on to Twitter like right after the episode and seeing what people are talking about, seeing how people are reacting. Uh, I like the memes. I like the jokes. It's funny. Like, you know, yeah. you know, Twitter, Twitter's often horrible. It's a <laughs> right. terrible place. It can but be. Th- this is good Twitter. This is fun Twitter. Like, um, I, 
Yeah, I'm I'm all in on that. So maybe not during the show, but as soon as I'm done watching it, I'm jumping on there and and I'm enjoying the reactions. Well, and that's what so- social media is supposed to be. What what it is people are talking about. People like having that place where they can go and share their opinions on something, and other people there sharing their opinions, and it it, it is kind of that that gathering place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like after last week's show, someone posted a something that said Cersei sneaking past the hound in the mountain and then they posted of a little a video of a little baby owl walking on its tiptoes and that was I, I like that if you I don't know if you've ever seen a, a video of a baby owl walking on its tiptoes but that's I not funny. I should it's go funny. find one yeah yeah <laughs> all right so look there there are going to be spoilers all over the place uh, on Sunday night and people need to be aware of that but as you say Andy that that's that's a good thing mm-hmm definitely a good thing and I think I think in general, for this Game of Thrones, like if you're not up to date on Monday morning, by the time you get to the office, like if you work a regular work week, then you're in trouble. Um, we we do have like common decency here in my office. Like yeah. <laughs> we we give people a warning, like the spoiler alert, the classic spoiler alert. We're like, you know, we're going to talk about Game of Thrones in ten seconds, mm-hmm. and if you don't want to hear it, you need to flee right now. Get out of the room. Because it's happening, five, four, three, two, one, let's go. (laughs) That's fair. Instead of just coming right out with, wow, I can't believe so-and-so died last night. (laughs) At least say, hey, heads up. Exactly. All right. Uh, Folks can find your piece at nsnews.com. Andy, thanks for joining us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, take care. Andy Press, uh, lifestyle columnist uh, with North Shore News. Uh, His piece from uh, a couple weeks ago. Give me all your Game of Thrones spoilers. It's funny because, I, like, I mean, I don't, I don't watch the show. I, I, I'm kind of aware of, like, you know, the basic premise of the show, kind of what's been going on, just because it gets so much coverage. I may just out of curiosity uh, tune in on, on Sunday night. But a lot of people here are big fans. Uh, Jacqueline is a producer of Danielle's show. Da- Jacqueline sits just kind of across from me. So the, I think it was last week. And maybe she had said something about Game of Thrones. I think she was actually talking about a dream she had about Game of Thrones. <laughs> maybe it was why it came up. And I said, yeah, you know, I saw a story this morning that apparently some, some spoilers the last couple episodes have leaked. And she was like, wow, really? So <laughs> I took the link. I think it was a Deadspin article or something. And I sent it to her and I put in the subject line, do not read. But, of course, I put the link in there. So what did she do? Well, she did read it, which I was kind of surprised by. As it turns out, I I think some of the the spoilers were not actually true. So maybe it was all a moot point. But, I mean, it's it's tempting, right? When you're really into a show, you want to know. You so badly want to know. What's that next twist going to be? What's going to happen on the next episode? You're, You're dying to know. Maybe that's part of why people are so into, like, Netflix now. You don't have to wait a week. You just sit and binge-watch a whole show. And then maybe you don't have to worry. Uh, But that's why there's a lot of power, I think, over each week now, Game of Thrones. And, oh, my God, what's going to happen this week? Oh, my God, now i got to wait till next week to find out. Now it all culminates this weekend in the big series finale. So that's the difference, right? You probably find, I think ultimately the numbers I've seen are probably comparable audience sizes between Sunday's Game of Thrones finale and last night's Big Bang Theory finale. But they're completely different, right? 
Nobody was going into Big Bang Theory last night thinking, oh my God, what is going to happen? I can't wait to, to find out what's going to happen. It was just, okay, this show's ending and here's the last show. Right? But it's much more than that this Sunday. It's much more of a, a cultural phenomenon, really. Even though you've probably got comparable audiences. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge, and you can email me, Rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.